Our reading this morning is from Acts chapter 21, verses 1 to 16. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we, cut, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemy, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hand of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days we got ready and went up to Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Mason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Well, good morning. It's a real privilege to be with you. It was great to meet some of you yesterday uh, for the local church Global Mission Conference, and I uh, really enjoyed this weekend. Uh, we're grateful for your partnership uh, between UFM and Chalmers Church here, as um, we've heard already with H, serving in the Middle East, and also with Anya last year when she was serving in Latin America. And uh, we come, don't we, with a sense of expectancy as we open up God's Word to see what He might teach us uh, today. Let's pray again one more time. And then we'll dive into Acts 21 together. I'm going to pray with these words of Paul in mind from 1 Corinthians. Father in heaven, we pray, please, today that preaching would come not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that our faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen. Ready to die. That's our theme today, ready to die. In the grainy black and white video clip, a UFM missionary nurse speaks to ITN News about her release from captivity from the Simba rebels in Congo. The year is 1965. For seven months, this lady has been missing, believed killed, along with 19 other missionaries and their children. Her death certificate had been issued, a Thanksgiving service had been held at her church back home, and yet here she was, a picture of the lady Margaret there. Speaking about her harrowing months in captivity, Margaret Hayes, this middle-aged lady with a speech impediment, said the following, I was in hiding in the forest for one month, but then the rebels heard where I was and said, if you don't come out, we'll kill the whole tribe. Margaret went on, when I heard this, I decided it would be better for me to die than my friends. So she went out saying, if you want to kill me, kill me. 
Here was a lady who was ready, it seems, to die. Remarkably, and you can read her story in a book called Missing, Believed, Killed. Remarkably, her life was spared, yet the lives of the 19 other missionary colleagues and their children with UFM at that time, they were all killed. There's a plaque on the wall to the entranceway into our office in Swindon that names each one of those people. And beneath their names is written the text of Psalm 116, verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. You hear a story like that and it's inspiring, isn't it? I guess our hearts are moved when we hear stories of sacrifice such as that. Yeah, friends, I wonder here, isn't there an irony also? Because as we hear a story like that, who in the UK today is telling us to live our lives with an abandon like that? Is anyone out there urging you to give your life for a cause like this? I guess too often we can be inspired by these kinds of stories for a time, but then we put those stories, figuratively speaking, back into the archive box as if they belong to a bygone era, and it's all very quaint. And then we get on with our lives, and we're, of course, affected by the culture of the day. A culture which is telling us at every point to avoid discomfort, never mind death. Every danger is to be dealt with. Every risk is to be assessed and ultimately avoided, removed totally. I was really struck by this when we came back from serving in Indonesia for a time to the UK, just how risk-averse we are as a culture. Maybe you're not from the UK, and you've moved here to Edinburgh, and you're scratching your head thinking, why are these British people so risk-averse? Here's one example. In Indonesia, we picked up our girls from school one day. They were all wearing face masks. It wasn't because of the pandemic. It was before that came along. They were wearing face masks because the day before, in East Java, a volcano had erupted and volcanic ash had, had spread because of the prevailing winds overnight into West Java, where we lived. And so the teachers thought, well, we've got to look after the kids. We'll put face masks on and we'll carry on with the day. We got back to the UK. My wife, Rachel, picked up one of our girls from her class. And on a particular afternoon, she was given an incident report form because there'd been a cause for concern, a safety concern for our daughter at school that day. The problem, it turned out, well, our daughter, Bethia, had had a paper cut at school. That's where we're at with our thoughts about risk as a culture here in the UK today. Our theme this morning of being ready to die is taken from Acts 21, 13, where Paul says he's ready to die as he goes to Jerusalem with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what's fascinating when you read that verse in its context here in the book of Acts, you see that even in Paul's day and in his very different culture to our own, the same kind of reaction was there. Paul, do you really want to do this? Why would you risk so much to go to that place with the good news of Jesus? Let's take a look at how it unfolds in our passage. Back in chapter 19, Paul is in Ephesus. We're told in chapter 19 and verse 20 that the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. On into verse 21, we read this. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. Paul resolved in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. Paul, as many of you will know from the book of Acts, is frequently on the move. He knows the gospel must make progress geographically. 
On into chapter 20, we see Paul's convictions about getting to Jerusalem. They only grow stronger still. Saying farewell to the uh, other elders of the church he planted there in Ephesus. In Acts 20, verse 22, Paul says, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonments and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Do we get the picture? We see Paul, he resolves in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Now we've just read he's constrained by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. He knows what's before him as he heads to Jerusalem. All the suffering, all the hardship. It's inspiring to hear, isn't it? As someone who would live a life of sacrifice like that. Yet again, what is the response he gets? Well, after saying farewell to his friends from Ephesus, Paul and his team are on their way. We read in the first few verses of chapter 21, they go to Kos and to Rhodes and Patara, Phoenicia, Cyprus, then on to, on to Syria, landing in Tyre. We pick it up in chapter 21, verse 4. What's the response he gets? And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. You see, through the Spirit, they know what's coming. Just as the Spirit has told Paul that, that prison and afflictions were facing him, so the Spirit tells the believers entire the same. And what's their response to this? Well, it's kind of like they get out their incident report forms and their risk assessment manuals, and they say to Paul, look, it's just too risky. Don't go there. Yet Paul's resolve goes on. They, we're told in chapter 21 here, from Tyre they sailed to Ptolemaeus, then on to Caesarea. This time the warning comes from a prophet. He's called Agabus. We read about him in verses 10 and 11. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. You see, you get the same response. The prophet knows through the Spirit what's going to happen. If Paul goes on to Jerusalem, there will be suffering. There will be opposition. So what's the response of the people? Well, the people of Caesarea, even Luke himself, there in verse 12, the author of this book, they all urge Paul, they plead with Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. We know what's going to happen if you go there. Verse 13, then Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart, for I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. It's like Paul saying to these people, look guys, we could save ourselves a lot of trouble here. We could save your tears and my tears. Don't you see, I have to go to Jerusalem. I have resolved in the Spirit to go. I feel constrained by the Spirit to go. Even if it means death when I get there, well, I'm ready to die. So I'm going. At this point, they seem to have had enough. They finally give up. Verse 14, and since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, 
let the will of the Lord be done. You know, friends, if you live a life where you make sacrifices for the Lord, and if you're willing to take risks for the sake of the gospel, don't be surprised if people around you try and talk you out of it sometimes. Don't be surprised if friends, even in, in church perhaps, try and dissuade you. Being ready to die is so countercultural. People will go to great lengths to help you avoid it. So if we're to be ready to die for the Lord Jesus, we've got to be totally persuaded of, of the reason to lay down our lives. We, we've got to be absolutely convinced that that kind of sacrifice will be worth it. Which leads to our second point, ready to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. Ready to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. Was the sacrifice worth it? That was the question the lady was wrestling with for days and for nights after she heard the news. This lady leads a large mission agency in the States. Uh, she was sharing at a conference I was at about a year ago of the time she took a phone call from someone informing her that a young man in the same mission organization that she was leading had been killed as he took the gospel to a people that I had never heard before. As she thought about this young man's life, not yet 30 years old, she asked herself, was the sacrifice worth it? As she thought about the pain for his family and friends, she asked herself the question, was the sacrifice worth it? As she fielded criticisms from the secular media and from plenty of people within the church for what this man had been attempting to do, she asked herself the question, was the sacrifice worth it? Well, after days of wrestling and praying through the doubts and the pain, the criticism and the heartaches, she seems to come to the same conclusion as Paul there in chapter 21 and verse 13. Then Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart, for I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Ready to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. You see, friends, the Christian isn't called to lay down their life as, a, as an act of aggression, like a jihadist. And the Christian isn't called to lay down their life as an, as an act of merit-making, like some religious fanatic. No, the Christian is called to lay down their life for the name of the Lord Jesus, as an act of worship to the one who's worthy of all blessing and honor and glory and praise. It's why Paul can say there in chapter 20, verse 24, his life is worth nothing to him. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's Paul's life now. It's given over to someone else. It's focused in on something else. His life is all about serving the Lord and speaking to a lost world about Jesus Christ. And for that, he's ready to die. Maybe some of you are sitting there thinking, come on, Michael, this is all a bit extreme, isn't it? You've come as a visiting speaker. You've been told to speak about global missions, so you're putting the pressure on this morning. And well... Yes, we can be inspired by these unique stories from the past and the present, but that's just not our life experience, is it? Isn't this all a bit extreme? You know, friends, for the Christian, if that is who you are this morning, if you've turned from your sin and you've put your trust in the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, if you're a Christian here this morning, what Paul says here should be nothing, nothing special at all. 
might be hard to hear, but it should be nothing special at all. It's what we've signed up to, isn't it? If we're Christian people. Think about those famous words of Jesus in Mark chapter 8. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Yes, there might be times when you or I are literally called to lay down our lives for the Lord Jesus. Most of us have never faced that kind of situation. We pray that God would give us the strength if it ever came. Yet much more simply, God's word today is reminding us that the Christian is one who is dying daily to themselves. We're not just talking about the extreme examples here this morning. We're talking about the reminder that the Christian is the one who is dying daily to themselves. They're replacing their dreams and ambitions and hopes and priorities for those of the Lord, knowing that as our creator and savior and king, he's worthy of everything, even our lives. And knowing that if we walk along the way of the cross, it does mean suffering and hardship are part of the package. It's very plain all the way across scripture. Acts 14, 22, for example, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. You know, a watching world will look at a life lived in that kind of way, with that kind of abandon, with that kind of focus on someone who's not ourselves, and they'll say to us, what a waste to live that way. What are you playing at? Yet, friends, Jesus says this is the path to glory. And this is the place of joy. That, of course, was Jesus' supreme example. Listen to these words from Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God for the joy set before him. You know, sometimes well-meaning Christians will reflect on their service for Jesus and they'll say something like this. You read it in lots of the mission biographies. They'll say, it was no sacrifice at all. Now, we know what they mean and we don't want to be, you know, awkward for the sake of it with words. But can I suggest that is a really unhelpful thing to say? Really unhelpful. If we die daily to self, Jesus says the sacrifice, it will be real. If we follow along the way of the cross, the pain, it will be felt. Yet, friends, there's glory still to come. To live is Christ. To die is gain. So, friends, can I ask you this morning, are you, am I, are we laying down our lives daily for the name of the Lord Jesus? Not that we used to, maybe at one point, perhaps when we first became a Christian and we were super keen. Not would we like to at some notional point in the future, but... Right now, every day, are we laying down our lives for the name of the Lord Jesus? Are we counting our lives as nothing, aiming only to finish the race, to complete the task the Lord Jesus has given us, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace? When James Calvert went as a missionary to reach a cannibalistic tribe in the South Pacific, the story goes that the ship captain taking him there urged him to turn back. 
He said, you'll lose your life and the lives of those with you if you go among such people. To which Calvert apparently replied, we died before we came here. We died before we came here. That powerful little phrase has been used more recently as the title for a a moving mission biography. Some of you may have read it. It tells the story of a missionary family serving in North Africa amongst least reached Muslim people. The husband, Stephen, was killed by militants, shot in the streets. Again, you've got to ask the question. You've got to be sober-minded and say, was that worth it? Was that not a sacrifice that was way too much? Think of all the preparation for that family. All that time of study. All that time people investing in them. All that time at Bible college. All that time of language study. All that time of cultural adaptation. You think of all the financial support of scores of people from back home. All those tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars poured into that endeavor. You think of a wife widowed at a very young age. You think of very young children left without their dad. And you ask the question, seriously, was it worth it? It might be difficult for us to answer on behalf of those people. But here's what the wife, Emily, wrote. She said, Stephen had handed over his life a long time ago. No bullets could have taken it from him. He had willingly given it so that more of his brothers and sisters could join him in worship on the other side of eternity, where the Father's comforting hand and proud smile would wipe away every trace of pain and sorrow. She goes on, this reward was worth any price, and the price had not been paid in vain. I take great comfort in knowing that Stephen didn't lose his life. He found it. He found it. Ready to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. Third, ready to die for the name of the Lord Jesus among the nations. Among the nations. Paul, as we've been seeing here in Acts, was heading to Jerusalem in the spirit. He decided to go. The spirit had compelled him to go. Why? Well, we've been seeing for the progress of the gospel. Therefore, the fame of Jesus Christ among the nations. Many of you are familiar that this book begins with Jesus' promise of a geographical progress for the gospel. Acts 1.8. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Later, into Acts chapter 13, we read of Paul's specific call to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul has this ambition planted deep within him to preach the gospel where Christ has never been named before. It's an ambition that means he wants to get to Rome. Then after that, he wants to go to the regions beyond, as he describes them, onto Spain, going with the gospel. And for all of this... For all of this progress of the gospel so that more people might hear the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they too might be saved. For all of this, Paul is ready to die. Friend, can I ask you this morning, what are you planning to give your life to? It's a big question for a Sunday morning, isn't it? What are you planning to give your life to? Or if you're a bit further down the track like some of us, what is it that you are giving your life to? What is it you think about first thing 
when you wake up in the morning? What is it you dream about? What is it you want to achieve? What is it that fills your mind and your hopes and your desires? There are so many things out there that can fill that space, aren't there? So many things we can get passionate about and invest our lives in. Many of them good things. Now let me ask you, is that thing in your mind, is it really worth living for? Well, here's a test. Ask yourself, is that thing worth dying for? Paul says he's willing to die for the progress of the gospel, for the fame of Jesus Christ among the nations. Do we understand, do we see as we open up Scripture in in its entirety that Jesus is worthy of the worship and praise of all peoples on the face of this earth? As Jesus took on human flesh, so the Bible says he came to take away the sin of the world. John chapter 1, verse 29. As he ate with his, with his disciples in the upper room, he said his blood was to be poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Matthew 26, 28. As he hung on the cross, bearing the punishment for our sin and our shame, he had the nations in mind. Isaiah 52, 15. Look it up later if you're not familiar with it. The Bible says one day before the throne, a multitude will stand from every nation, tribe, people, and language, saved by Jesus, praising Jesus. And every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them will say, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Revelation 5.13. Friends, we've got to see that our passion, our passion for the name of the Lord Jesus must always stretch beyond our own immediate circumstances. Our concern for the lost must always go to the ends of the earth. Yes, as we rightly give ourselves to great gospel need close to home, our eyes must always be be beyond the four walls in which we're in today. As we look to the ends of the earth, we'll find today three billion people in our world with little or no access to the gospel we'll find that 86% of the world's Hindus, Buddhists, and Muslims do not have a single Christian friend. We were hearing yesterday that in Oman, there are likely more branches of Starbucks than there are national believers. I heard recently from a Bible college principal in Barcelona that in central Spain, there are still places waiting for their first Protestant church. Christian friends, don't we long to see this change? Don't we long see this change? Aren't we willing to take up our cross for these things? Whatever that looks like in our day-to-day lives, whether God sends you a long way away, whether he keeps you serving right here, don't we long to see this change? Are we willing to take up our cross for these things? Because friends, if something is truly worth dying for, what better thing to live for? What better thing to give your life to? David Brainard gave his life to take the gospel to Native Americans. He suffered from depression, loneliness, at times a lack of food. About to die from tuberculosis, age just 29, he said, I declare, now I am dying. I would not have spent my life otherwise for the whole world. Striking, isn't it? I declare, now I am dying. I would not have spent my life otherwise for the whole world. Friends, Let's pray we can get to the end of our lives and say something similar. As we reflect on all that we've done, all that God has enabled us to to do and to be, all of the people we've met, all of the places we've been, could we say, 
with our hand on our hearts, I would not have spent my life otherwise for the whole world. Are we ready to die for the name of the Lord Jesus among the nations? Let me finish by just sharing one more story. If someone ready to do just that, it's a story one of our mission partners shared at the UFM Summer Conference last summer. Uh, normally they're serving in, in Ukraine. He talked about a situation eight to nine years ago at the time of the first Russian incursions into eastern Ukraine uh, when a pastor and his son had been out on the streets giving out food and tracts. Uh, they were taken away by soldiers. It was a Monday evening when it happened, but no one heard a thing. People met to pray. Tuesday came and went. Wednesday, Thursday. Finally, Friday, their bodies were dumped outside the house, still alive, barely. People asked the father what had happened. He didn't say in too much detail, but he said, I want to share one thing. As they mistreated me and my son for four days and four nights, my son will not disown the name of the Lord Jesus. So what they were being asked to do. This will all stop if you disown the name of the Lord Jesus. He said, for four days and four nights, my son will not disown the name of, the, the name of Christ. And he was 14 years old. 14 years old. My friend Andy, the mission partner, goes on. He says, why are Ukrainian Christians so bold and ambitious in this time of war? Let me tell you, it's because of 14-year-old Daniel. When people heard this teenage boy had stood for Christ through such a trial, the Christians became fearless and bold and full of courage. And for eight years since that moment, Christians in the east of Ukraine have had no fear. Ready to die for the name of the Lord Jesus among the nations. Friends, are we ready to join people like Daniel? Yes, the circumstances of our lives may look different. For many of us, in God's kindness, we probably won't face such severe testing and trial, perhaps. But will we go on dying daily to self? Will every day we get up in the morning and take up our cross and follow him, whatever the cost? Will we give ourselves to the one who's worthy of our very lives? Are we ready to die? For the name of the Lord Jesus among the nations. Let's pray for God's help to do just that as we close now. Let's pray together. Father, our hearts are moved and our hearts are challenged as we hear um, incredible examples of people standing firm for the Lord Jesus. People being even willing to lay down their lives literally that others might hear the good news of, of Christ. Father, we pray, please, that you would remind us as we think about the mission needs close to home and around the world that you don't just send us out on our own to do these things. Thank you for the promise of the Lord Jesus that he is with us, even to the very end of the age. Lord, we pray, please, as we reflect on our lives, that you would forgive us for the times we, we focus our lives on, on things about us, and you become a small compartment that we're happy about, perhaps, but you're not first in our, in our hearts and our minds and our lives. We pray, please, you would refresh us today. Set our eyes once more on the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to see that he is worthy of, of all honor and glory and blessing and praise. And he's worthy of our very lives. Father, we pray, please, you would help us indeed to be ready to die daily for the name of the Lord Jesus among the nations. We ask for your help in these things. We pray that as a result, there might be much fruit in our lives and the lives of those he places amongst. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.